0: open up your Bibles now to Ephesians chapter 1. How many of you guys get scared I'm going to fall off the stage sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Only like once or twice have I ever like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> that was too close. That was too close. Anyways, well, this is week seven or eight or six. No one, no one keeps track anymore, but we've been in Ephesians 1. I met with some uh, local pastors yesterday. It's Uh, It was actually, they were sitting right next to me. I'd never met them before uh, from Yahats and one was from Florence, actually. They were retired and uh, they were talking about the sermon preparation and the hardest part of sermon preparation to them in in history was picking the topic you're going to teach on. And I said, yeah, I totally feel you. And so what we do at at Calvary Chapel churches is we don't do topical, we do biblical in in, in that we teach through a, a, a whole book of the Bible in order that we don't get to pick and choose our topics, but the topics actually pick and choose us. And I went ahead and showed him that, and I said, actually, we've been in the book of Ephesians now for six or seven weeks, and we've only made it to verse nine. It's almost embarrassing. (laughs) And, And the topic just keeps showing up again and again and again, and the topic is how rich we are in Christ, how much we have, how much he's given to us, how much we've received and absorbed already from the Father to us in Christ changes everything. And yet, if you're like me, every once in a while, that change that you've experienced can't even be seen at all in your day-to-day life. Someone would look at you and say, wow, did you just get baptized in pickle juice? Not realizing you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. And from time to time, I forget and we lose track of all that God has done for us. As a matter of fact, look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, he addresses himself as the author in jail. He's writing this, from Rome to the church at Ephesus, and he never forgets who he is in Christ. We talked about this weeks and weeks ago. It's your identity, your identity, because your identity will determine where you go. Your identity will determine what you do. Your identity, and your identity, at least worldly speaking, changes from time to time, doesn't it? You find yourself on top of the world. You're on top of the leaderboard. You're in charge. You've done a thing right or two. And you find yourself failing in an area or four. And you find yourself vacillating. Your identity in worldly standards changes like the tide, doesn't it? In Christ, guess what? It doesn't change. It doesn't change. Do you believe that, though? Because sometimes our circumstances are so dang heavy, are so real and so crushing. I go to Lincoln County Jail often. And I always remind the guys and the gals there that their orange jumpsuit and their hearing date... And the relationship with the judges and the parole officers, none of that identifies them. It may explain what they're dealing with right then, but their identity has been already predetermined in Christ, okay? And it is bigger, louder, and prouder than what they're going through presently. Paul here in prison, incarcerated, says Paul. Not a prisoner of Rome, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the saints who are in Ephesus. Paul, that's who he sees himself as and it will navigate and it will help alleviate and it will help direct you in all of the decisions and all of the shortcomings and all the failures and all of the trials you find yourself in today. How's life going for y'all? It just gets so nutty so quick. and There's so much involved. There's real circumstances. There's felt circumstances that aren't even real. They just feel real. All the, Anyways, we're getting off track here Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God To the saints who are in Ephesus And the faithful in Christ Jesus Grace to you and peace from God our Father And the Lord Jesus Christ He goes on now in verses 3-14 through 14 To detail the richest sentence in all of Greek literature The longest sentence that could even be imagined It's as if he's writing so much He's writing until his pen goes dry all that god has given to us and then and then and then and if you buy now there'll be three more and then and then don't wait and then and and he keeps going and keeps going listen this is how you and i need to position ourselves as those who've received so much from christ to talk about it continually to remind ourselves that all the time to give it to the people around us to never forget what we've been given or we'll stop being givers of it to other people Remember the story Jesus told of the man who owed the king 500 bucks? And he went to the king, he's like, dude, I need you to forgive me. Straight up, I don't got the cash. And the king's like, okay. You know what, I'm feeling kind of crazy today. Forgiven, 500 bucks, done, you're free. He leaves, it was actually more like $50,000, it was a lot of cash. He leaves then, he's walking through town, feeling like he just got the riches of the kingdom handed to him, right? Jesus told a story, he looks over and he sees a dude who owed him five bucks. And he's like, oh, that guy. Hey bro, you got my 5 bucks? Do you got what I? and The guy said no, I actually don't have your 5 bucks. He said I need it now or I'm taking you to jail. And he said, "Look, just give me some time." He said, "No time, it's over." He took him to jail and put him away. When the king heard about the man who'd been forgiven 50,000 and then required the $5, he said, "Are you for real?" Did he he go get him? I'd like to just have a quick word with him. And he had forgiven him so much, $50,000, but the guy didn't realize that he had been so liberated, so set free, and he was living a superficial, shallow life, not with the riches that God had provided for him. Jesus told that story because it's our story. How many of you guys wake up every morning just looking for that homie that owes you five bucks? <laughs> Somebody offends you, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm gonna call you on that. When Christ has set you so free, he has paid for all of your sins. He has labored so valiantly for you and on your behalf. Paul now begins, verse 3 through 14, to his church saying, guys, you don't blow it. Okay? Don't miss it. Otherwise, you're going to live your life as paupers, as weirdos. You're, gonna, you're, gonna be, you're not going to be doing it right. Here's what he says. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He's using all these characteristics that are now theirs in Christ, holy, without blame, chosen, predestined, adopted. Every once in a while, you just need to remind yourself how good you do have it, how blessed you really are. We're so quick to look at all the stuff going wrong around us, aren't we? It's so attractive sometimes and so deceiving to just talk about all the things that are negative in our lives. I'll tell you what, let's not do that. Verse 5, he says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. He's a good, good father. That's just the way it is. And we're loved by him. That's just the way it is. He has predestined you. He has adopted you. You might argue in your flesh, but all about this and what about that? And my back hurts and this and And we have these things that scream at us, do we not? It's called life. Verse 6. Why is this happening? Well, it's to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Do you know that God's called you, God's accepted you, God's forgiven you, God's changed you, God's numbered you, God's presented you, God's equipped you, God's sealed you, all in spite of you and not because of you? It's not because he's like, whoa, look what Luke's doing. Have you noticed his beard? How it just glistens? Wow. Wow. Hey, angels, go help him out. He's, he's finally holy. No, no, no. He, he uses me and you and us always, always in spite of us, never because of us. He on purpose looks for the weak things, the base things, the mundane things, the normal things, the broken things. On purpose, because verse 6 says, it's to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted. Next time you don't feel acceptable, you're a prime candidate to be used. Next time you feel broken, next time you feel cracked, next time you feel unable, that's when God would say, now, this is so crazy. Because most of us are waiting until we figure a thing out or two. I just got to quit smoking. Once I quit smoking, I can finally lead the children of God around me. I can, I can maybe volunteer at Sunday school. Once I get this thing out of my life, Okay. Once I quit cussing, once I quit doing this, once I, once I figure it out, once I stop losing my temper, uh, you know, <laughs> you lose your temper, over losing your temper, whatever. Don't get me wrong, please. God would give us his Holy Spirit to overcome sin, ailments, backsliding. God would, God would want you to deal with those things, okay, in holiness and in righteousness. But when God uses you, it's not because of you, ever. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's because of his grace, which is glorious, which causes praise to go to him, that he uses you. Verse 7, in him, he clarifies this, he justifies this. In him we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. God is flowing, throwing his goodness, grace, and kindness all over the world. Most of us in here are budgeters as far as it concerns our love and our kindness. I'll give you a little bit here. Oh, we're all out. It's coming back. <laughs> I'll give you a little bit here, but now you owe me. <laughs> you know? God says, no, I'm going to make it a bound. It's going to be kind of sloppy, actually. It's going to kind of be all over the place. I'm actually going to grace those people that you wish I wouldn't grace. I'm actually going to offer forgiveness and love and extension of mercy to people that you actually will get mad at that I saved. When the apostle Paul got saved himself, the author, when he got saved, the church in Jerusalem was TO'd mad about it for years, for years. And he's like, I've been saved too. They're like, let me save you. (laughs) Read it, read the book of Acts. 13 years the homie had to live by himself because nobody loved him, nobody trusted him. Nobody thought the the kindness of God could reach that dude until finally one guy did, okay? His name was Barney, Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? Barnabas, right around Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 12 right around there and barnabas says you know what you know who would be really good for this particular job here in antioch up in the northern region of jerusalem there's this guy named saul nobody likes him but he's real smart and i've seen him he loves jesus he's been by himself for 13 years i'm gonna go get him barnabas had this gift of finding people that nobody else loved nobody else liked he was kind of like a little holy spirit so he went and grabbed saul brought him to antioch and saul began to preach and teach and the church exploded now Paul, years and years and years and years later, says, you know who's crazy? You know who abounds in love, grace, kindness, and mercy? God, okay? Not so much the church. We're trying to get there. Not, not so much the people all around you. They're gonna actually budget you and they're gonna go ahead and bill you and they're gonna require things from you. God, though, just boom, 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 lavishes and abounds his grace because grace changes what? Everything. Everything. The Bible says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance, that the grace of God teaches us to stop doing stupid stuff. When God graces you and you truly feel it, your first reaction to true felt grace is not to abuse that grace, but to obey God. When God forgives you of all that you've done wrong, your first thought is, oh my gosh, are you really going to forgive me for all you, oh my God, and you go nearer to him and you desire to be close to him and to obey him. Well, Paul is telling us that that's what Christ has done for us. Look at verse 9. Here's how. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. God's shown us the way. God's not hidden it from us. God's made it available. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, that's up, and which are on earth, that's down. Where? In In him. This is crazy town right here. This verse again, we're gonna get there this today, maybe. We're do our best. This verse will change everything. Because it tells us that everything in heaven, which is where we're going, is actually right now included with everything we're dealing with now where we're at. Now, how many are super fired up? Like you're going to heaven, you're on the J train, you got a one-way ticket, nothing's holding you back, like you're there. Woo! <laughs> but right now, you gotta do some stuff. You gotta be married, you gotta raise these kids pay the government, blah, 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 blah. Listen, verse 10 says, no, That's actually, they're the same, they're the same. What what we're gonna get in heaven is Jesus and what we can have and what he's provided for right now on earth is Jesus. And yet for most of us, there's this huge separation. Well, yeah, heaven's gonna be, I can't wait. What about now? What about now? Can you have heaven on earth? Father, give us our daily bread on, 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 earth as it, on, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your will be done on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Well, verse 10, hopefully we'll get there. Just pray. Just pray. Verse 11. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him. That's Christ. You trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of our purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Look at the next two verses. We haven't read these as a group. We're going to do it now. Therefore, that's kind of a conclusion. He's like, the therefore is always there for a reason. Because of what Christ has done, because of all that we have, here's his now conclusion in jail. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayer. Stop right there and just consider that. He's thinking about the church at Ephesus. He's like, man, those rascals. In Christ, they're saints. Man, those knuckleheads. In Christ, they're the beloved. In Christ, they're blameless and holy. Man, and he's heard that they received The good news that they're walking in it, and he just, it's a pastor's dream come true. That his flock, his congregation is enjoying the riches of Christ. He's like, I don't stop, I I never stop thanking God for what he's done in your life. I look around and I see, I hear the reports. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we've read your word, we're going to study it together. I pray for your Holy Spirit's clarity to be ours, Lord, for your power to be enjoyed, and for your purposes, Lord, to be had, We just surrender this Sunday morning, the last Sunday in February of 2016. We give it to you, looking forward to what you're going to do in our lives. And we pray, Lord, for an anointing to drop now and for, Lord, a joy to be had. Lord, I do not believe that you're a budgeter. I do not believe that you have a limit. I believe on purpose you've created things that are limitless, such as space to demonstrate your magnanimous spirit. And so we ask now, Lord, that you would pour yourself out in such a way that would change lives that would regenerate souls, that would break the power of sin, and that would illuminate our path. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, A few months ago, I was out in front of my house, and I faced uh, one of the fears that we all dread, one of the darkest moments that any one of us will ever go through. And I remember I was there in in the front of my house, and as it went down, I was actually on the front of my house, and I was kneeling down like this. And as I stood up one of the you've all been there. As I stood up, I looked down on my leg and my phone actually hadn't gone into my pocket. It was actually falling out. And everything went into slow motion. The clouds began to go gray. My kids who were running around went into slow motion. Spiritual warfare ensued. And I watched as my phone tumbled. face down onto the concrete. We didn't know what happened. You couldn't tell. You couldn't see. You've been there before. And I reached down slowly and I picked it up, ah! cracked screen, cracked screen. I've owned an iPhone for many, many years and I've never, I've dropped my phone, oh, where's your hand if you ever dropped your phone? Now when you go get a new phone, you're saying your phone doesn't work, they say, have you ever dropped it? You're like, "Oh, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. I don't know, define dropping, you know.
1: We've all been there. And I
0: dropped my phones, cracked, no big deal. I cried a little bit. I called some pastors for prayer. And... Um yeah, true, true story, true story. And uh, so I called Pastor Matt. He's actually a technical guy knows stuff. And I said, hey, my phone's broke. Can you help me? And so he ordered me a brand new um, glass piece that goes over your iPhone 6. And it's actually a DIY do-it-yourself kit. So this thing came in the mail. And he said, takes about an hour and a half. I'm not doing it for you. You're doing it yourself. Gave it to me. So I watched a couple YouTube videos. And I kind of just found myself becoming MacGyver. And I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And I sat down, quieted everybody, you know, and sweat began to drop. And I set a little timer here with some wires coming out like it was a bomb. You know, like I'm gonna Jack Bauer this thing, you know. So I took apart my phone. If you've ever taken apart a phone, it's like this is the holy grail. You can't get in here. And anyways, I took the phone apart and did what the video said and put it back together and powered it up and the thing worked perfectly. So I did it. So technically, I am MacGyver. You're your pastor, MacGyver, and that's okay. <laughs> and um, anyways, about two weeks after, there was like a small catch, like just a little thing on the top of the screen at the top. And just gonna. I ignored it, because, you know, who wants to walk in that failure? And anyway, so, so I just, uh, it kind of grew a little, and I was like, that's starting to resemble what, what some might call a crack, but I wouldn't call it that yet, and, and it, it grew, and pretty soon, all the way across the screen, I finally found myself admitting, okay, this new screen was cracked also. And I just kept it to myself. You know how it is when things didn't go your way. And you're like, oh, I just, I'll just deal with it. And it's just, you know, it's a bummer. So I looked into the warranty and the clauses and all the rest. and I was confused. And I was crying again to Pastor Matt. And uh, we were at lunch at La Roca. And he said, Let me see it. So I, I gave it to him. And he looked at it. And he's looking at it. And he looked up at me with a smile on his face. And he pulls out of his pocket his knife. Just like that. And like, you know, one of those bigger knives that kind of unfold and makes a sound like, like you're going to have a knife fight. And he pulls this knife out and he begins to then cut the screen right off the top of my phone. I'm watching him going, I'm just eating tacos. I'm just here at La Roca and you know, trying to be normal. And he begins to then cut off and pry off what I found out to be was the top layer of the new factory phone that was actually a protective screen (laughs) that was meant to be peeled off after installment, so you could use the phone properly, and it wasn't one of those flimsy screens. Don't think I'm a dummy, okay? It was pretty, pretty thick, so the glass didn't break. And so he just, oh, you're supposed to peel this part off. It, it cracked because it's not actually part of the real phone. And I'll tell you what: after it came off, not only was the crack gone, not only was it smoother than it had ever been, it actually worked. The functions, I could see better. The whole thing was awesome. <sighs> I'm growing. I'm growing. Now, here's the deal. For, for weeks, I used the phone, though, w- without taking that thick, bulky extra piece of plastic off. For, for weeks, I, I wasn't accessing the fullness that was intended to be given to me in that purchase. There was something inhibiting it. I hadn't peeled back all the layers and gone as deep as I could go with this particular device. Here's the simple illustration, the connection, is how many of us as Christians or humans have been dropped and cracked and We've been shattered. Our lives have come to ruins, and we've been fixed. We found Jesus through that, even through our wreckage. Man, we, The slow motion, that was our lives. Ah, you know, And God fixed us. But you would say, you would in a moment of authenticity, say, yeah, it feels still kind of like there's more layers. I still feel like I'm clumsy in my Christianity. It's not, I don't see things exactly as maybe they can be seen. I feel a little cracked still. I just feel like I haven't gone as deep as possibly i can go okay that's better be your mentality not with shame and condemnation but you better today right now say there's so much more about jesus so much more about christ so much more about heaven and earth that i I I don't even know there's more and that ought to then excite you that ought to then intrigue you that ought to then attract you into knowing him better as a matter of fact the bible says it this way trip out the Bible says it this way, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, it doesn't say stay saved with fear and trembling. That would be weird, wouldn't it? You know, Don't blow it. It says, no, no, you're saved. Now work it out. You're saved going to heaven, but you better flex those muscles. You better dig deep. You better look to see if there's another layer to go back, another feature to understand in this thing called salvation. And if you're smart here today, you'll be the first to admit, yeah, I don't know it all. There's more. There's more to the prayer language. There's more to the Holy Spirit. There's more to healing. There's more to signs and wonders. There's more to the Word. There's more to fellowship. There's more to repentance. There's more to communion. There's more to worship. There's more to closing my eyes. There's more to keeping my eyes open. There's more to raising my hands. There's more to kneeling down. There's more to all this stuff. I just don't know it all. Working out your salvation with fear, and trembling means that you're doing it with an excitement, with an idea that there's more and I don't want to blow it. I'll use another illustration to hopefully captivate your thinking. Last night, my son and I were talking about the difference between a six-pack and an eight-pack. <laughs> Not beverages, okay? We're talking about physical fitness, and he was asking the question, why, don't, why, do, why doesn't some people have eight-packs and some people have six-packs? What's the difference here? And I was telling my son that everyone has an eight-pack. It's just that not everyone can see those last little two that are there because they're covered by stuff. My son said, yeah, you don't have one. I said, okay, thanks, son. I appreciate your help. <laughs> appreciate you speaking the obvious to me. You know? here's, here's the deal about the physical body, though. Each and every one of us have an eight-pack okay, right now. <laughs> Trust me, it's there. And you might look at somebody who's physically fit, and you might say, Wow look at that body look what they've achieved look what they've gotten how can i i wish i could the reality is is what they've done is they've taken the same physique you have just like you can take the same christianity that all of us have and they have on purpose intention to work out with fear and trembling and their their excitement their bodies and have achieved then the goals that they've received okay it's that simple how many times have you looked at a pastor or a, a worship leader? Or a friend and said, man, you're so spiritual. Man, I'm just so proud of you. I'm glad to know you, but I'll never do that because I'm not you. Why? Why not? Maybe there's a layer you need to peel back. Maybe there's something inside of you that God just wants to, what's it, what are you going to spend the rest of your life doing anyways? You guys have a long life to live, okay? No one knows when the day or the hour that your life will end is. We don't know. And right now you need to live with a mentality that it's going to be long. I'm going to live till I die. And until then, I want to live on fire and on purpose for Christ, and I want to explore the riches that are his that he's actually given to me. And I believe that's what Paul's saying 216 times. You guys know this by now. 216 separate times in all of his teachings, Paul tells his listeners, guys, you're in Christ. Your identity's been changed, and when your identity's been changed, your behavior will follow suit. If your identity has not been celebrated in Christ, then your identity is probably crushing you. It's holding you back. You look in not the mirror of God's word, but you look in the mirror in your hallway, or you look in the mirror in your life and say, that's who I am. And then you find yourself not moving forward, but instead being bogged down. Or you can look in the mirror of God's word and say, what? He says I'm that? He says I have an eight pack? No way. Who would have thunk? You know, and you start. <laughs> And you start to look for it. You go looking for it. It's there, man. You got to dig. You got to work for it. Spiritually, Paul is imploring his church, his friends, the people in verse 16 where he says, I just, I can't help. I thank God for you as individuals, as the corporate body, as the church for all that God has done. And I would just say this, man, if you uh, see somebody who's physically in shape, they got that uh, way because they worked it out. Okay? And if you see someone who's spiritually uh, impressive or attractive, it's because they worked it out. That's a goal for all of us to leave here this morning and say, let's do that. Let's grow some spiritual muscles. Let's get into it. By the way, the book of Ephesians, we've been in chapter one for two months now. And as we navigate through chapter one, I promise we will, I promise. As we get through chapter one, he then gets into the meaty, nitty-gritty things of Christianity. He says, now that you know, now that you're rich, now that you're established, now that it's all done, now we get to work. Because if you ever try and get to work without the nitty-gritty being established, you're going to do it wrong. You're going to do all the spiritual warfare wrong. You're going to submit to your husband wrong. You're going to try and love your wife wrong. You're going to try and obey your parents wrong. You're going to try and do spiritual warfare wrong. You're going to do it totally wrong until you get chapter one in your heart, until you realize, do I'm so rich? I'm so so good to go. I'm so near and dear to the Lord because of what Christ has done in me. Now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's why we labor long to find ourselves so established on this foundation that we can build and that we can understand what God is doing. Last week in verse 9, let's read it together. It went this way. It goes the same way this week, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Everything that we're exploring this morning and everything that they were enjoying then, God has revealed to them. He's like, hey, by the way, this isn't a mystery. I actually want you to get this. I'm going to make a way so you can find this. And I used the illustration last week of my parents throwing a 16-year-old birthday party for me, and at that birthday party, they had some clues and they had a scavenger hunt for me to go find the presents that they had provided for me. It was really exciting, and it impacted my life deeply to this day. So too, God has gone before us and has provided a way and provided a revealed pathway for us to find the things that he wants us to find primarily himself i'm just going to say it this simply jesus is revealing himself okay he's doing it right now right now in this church and in this community and in this state and in this country and on this day and in this universe right now he's revealing himself he's pouring himself into individuals and into families here's the crazy thing he's using all kinds of different ways to do so okay He's using amazing, different ways to reveal himself. Imagine, take Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had Jesus revealed to himself when he was on his way to Jerusalem to do, or should I say Damascus, on his way to do hood rat stuff. Okay, he's on his way there to be a gangster, to arrest people, and to kill people that love Jesus. And it's at that point Jesus is like, well, how about we just have a one-on-one session? And Jesus pushed him off his horse, blinded his eyes, set him alone for three days, and messed with him. Read the book. That's how Jesus like, I'm going to save you, Paul. It's going to get gnarly, okay? I'm going to have to push you, okay? I'm going to have to blind you and mess with you. How many of you here this morning would say, before you met Jesus, you fell off your high horse, okay? And in your blindness and in your stupidity and in your inability to navigate life well, you found Jesus. And after things got messy in your life and Jesus messed with you a little bit, (laughs) praise God, I found Jesus. Here's the deal. How many of you guys are okay with Jesus messing with you? Yeah. Way more aggressive than the first service. First service is like, nah, nah you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. You guys are more awake than that, yeah. Jesus is going to mess with you right. for your benefit. He's going to blind you for your benefit. He's going to knock you off your horse, okay? That's happening all over the county, even this weekend. It's been a, been a rough weekend, hasn't it? I mean, it's, it, there's, you, you read the news on your own time. Here's the deal. Uh, I personally, when I was 19, uh, 17, 18, I started dealing drugs at age 17 out of my parents' house and dealt drugs from 17, 18 to 19. And at that point, I fell off my horse and actually got arrested and went to jail. My first experience with jail ministry was from the inside. And, <laughs> and as, I, as God saw me in my own rebellious, destructive mindset, God pushed me, blinded me, messed with me in order that I would t- uh, tap out. And when you tap out to Jesus... He picks you up right where you're at and begins to then navigate you on the road of recovery, okay, on the road of restoration, on the road of purpose, as you allow him to change your life. Here's the good news. Okay? I'm just going to make it so simple. He's making himself known to the world right now. Now, he did it to Paul, he did it to me, he's done it to you. Here's three things you need to write down, though, in consideration of that fact, okay? It's 2016, last Sunday of February. Here's the first thing you need to understand, because if this is true, this has an impact on your life. You're not just here to play church, okay? We're not a denomination that just shows up and does a few things and writes and rituals and goes home and feels better about ourselves, okay? We show up, we suit up, and we get ready to be sent out. Here's things you need to consider. Because if this is real, Jesus is revealing himself right now. Number one, no one's too far gone. Okay, that's such good news. I'm a natural born evangelist. Like I want more chairs in this room. Okay, I want a bigger place for us to sit. I want more people wearing hoodies than ever before. I I just want people getting Jesus in their hearts. I just want, ah, I want everybody getting saved in this town. That's what I want. But if I don't believe that no one's too far gone... Okay, that's not going to work very well. But if I believe there's nobody that is too far out to lunch, there's nobody that's too much of a gangster, there's nobody that's dropped too far that God can't reach them. Just look at the person next to you. <laughs> look around. Cases of grace, trophies of God's love and kindness. Okay, number one, write that down. If you believe that Jesus is revealing himself to people, you need to stop. You need to repent of giving up on your boss. You need to repent of giving up on your son. You need to repent of giving up on your, you fill in the blank, of the person you, Man, I, I, I've tried, I've tried. Okay, well, I don't care. God loves them. God is able to save them from the uttermost to the guttermost. Every single buddy. Here's a second thought that we'll tie right into that one. Number two, he uses all circumstances, both good and bad, to reveal himself. Do you know that God has a unique way of grabbing people's heads and twisting their necks upward? I like the picture. God has a unique way of just giving all the people and just slowly letting them look upwards. He'll use the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life. He'll use the good. You'll get a promotion at work. Maybe you'll get married. Maybe you'll have a kid. Maybe something great will happen. All of a sudden, that will gather and grab your heart, and you'll be humbled and say, oh, man, God, you're so good. And all of a sudden, through that good blessing, God twists your neck upwards. More often than not, though, God uses the bad things, the devastation, the heartache, and the pain the disappointment and the betrayal to get our necks to twist our head upward where we look to him like Paul like Pastor Luke like the people here today and we say lord i'm off my horse i don't know what i'm doing i'm blind and i'm actually kind of dumb i'm actually real good at being dumb would you would you save me god you no one's too far gone number 1 number 2 god's going to use the good the bad and the ugly that's great news there's some ugly stuff that happens isn't there On Friday, I think it might have been actually Thursday. No, I think it was Friday. Uh, Saturday morning, early maybe. Uh, You guys heard the story of the woman who's driving eastbound on Highway 20 uh, from Walport. Just a 32-year-old normal gal has a family. And uh, she had had something to drink that night and was driving and crossed the center lane and smashed into an oncoming vehicle, a resident from Newport, and he died. Uh, Went to heaven, uh, we hope. And uh, now she went to the hospital. And uh, after the hospital, she went right to jail. As I began to think about that situation, there's no good in that, is there? It's devastation and destruction. This mom of her kids, manslaughter too. See in 20 years. 32 years old. Some of you know her. She's a local girl. And I thought to myself as I woke up early this morning or maybe last night, the Lord just said she needs, she needs to hear the gospel. Her life's destroyed. It's, she's not proud. She's not happy. She made a mistake, and it cost everything. Can God use that to twist her head upwards and give her grace, kindness, and mercy in her new normal? It depends. It depends on if you believe that we're having a temporal human experience that ebbs and flows into an eternal spiritual experience. It depends on your theology. It depends on how big your God is. It depends on how great your grace of your Savior is. And you've got to believe if you're going to live in this world, too late, you are, that God is revealing himself. No one's too far gone. And that God can use the good and the bad to show himself, to reveal himself. He can do it, he will do it, he wants to do it. Number 3, this is where it gets real personal. Number 1, it's no one's too far gone. Number 2, he uses all the circumstances both good and bad. Number 3, he wants to use you who already know him. Straight up. I often trip out on the fact that God would be such a better evangelist than me. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't the angels, the, the holy angels be such a better church than you? Wouldn't it be, would, shouldn't God just high control this whole thing and do it himself? <laughs> Instead, he's like, no, 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 going go freak everyone out. Watch this, watch this. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to put all my riches in you, and I want you to tell people about me. And you're like, well, why don't you tell them yourself? Tell them yourself. He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to change your life. It's cray-cray. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to give you a seed, and I want you to share that seed with someone else. The Bible says this right around Mark 4. It says the sower phew, sows the word. Then it says the sower goes to bed. I love it. Then it says the sower wakes up and he looks around and guess what he sees? Growth. And he's like, "No way. All I did was throw it on the ground and I went to bed." That's crazy. God asks us to be sowers. And so many of us are so picky. We're like, "Oh, oh no, you don't get me." No, you're weird. No, God definitely wouldn't want me to try. No, I'll try another day. And we don't sow. Jesus wants you to sow this, the word. He wants you to sow the truth. Here's the crazy part. When Jesus taught the parable of the four soils, and he said the sower sows the word, and some falls on the ground, some falls in the thorns, some falls on the path, and some fell on the good soil. Did you know that in that equation, it's just a story, but in that equation, 75% of every attempt of every Christian is going to fail? In that equation, only 25% is actually going to work, okay? Most of us are making our attempts at being a good Christian, an evangelist, a sharer, a sower. We're making our attempts based on the return. Well, only if it works. This person's pretty close. I guess I will share. Jesus said, don't be so picky. Let me deal with that. You just share with everybody, okay? You present yourself a servant to me, and I'll give you opportunities to share. Here's how this works, by the way, because I'm not asking you guys to go door knocking later today. Don't do that, (laughs) There's another group that does that. We don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. What you do is you just present yourself to God as a tool. Say, Lord, I'll be your, I'll be your tool. Okay? You use me when it's time. If you have a toolbox, you don't use all the tools at once. You use a special tool for a certain thing. And you say, God, I'll be in your toolbox. Just use me when it's time. When it's time for the hammer, when it's time for the chisel, it's time for the sandpaper, it's time for the paintbrush. I'll just be, Use me, however. And when, when you do that, God will be faithful in your life to bring along somebody who needs a little bit of water, Okay, a little bit of sun, a little bit of truth, and you get to be a part of what God is doing. How many of you guys have ever been to an apple tree and the apples aren't ready yet, and you don't care? You're going to pick one and eat it anyways. You're like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, you throw it away. It's like, it's not ready. God uses fruit and maturation, maturity, as an illustration for people who are getting saved. He says, "I want you to produce much fruit." But if you know somebody in your life that's not ready, okay, that's fine. God's ripening them up. He's, you don't need to be aggressive. All you need to do is be ready to be one of those who is used in God's garden, who is used in God's ways. He's revealing himself to people. He loves people more than you do. Know this. Believe it. You're mad at your fill in the blank. He's not, okay? You're unwilling to forgive that person. He's not. You wish that that person would not make it to heaven. God wishes the opposite. And when you co-op with him and just say, okay, Lord, all right, apparently you, you save all kinds of crazy people. Like if I was doing this, it'd be a VIP list of me, myself, and I, and that's it. But you're crazy. You open up the gates wide, and whoever would come to repentance and tap out after falling off their horse, after being cracked, after being blinded and messed with spiritually, and say, yes, Jesus, yes, that's all, yes, Jesus. So those three things, no one's too far gone. He uses all the circumstances, and he wants to use you. That's where it gets personal. All this is from verse 9. He's made this mystery known to us. It's not hidden. Again, if you and I were on the committee, we would have made it so hard to find. Man, it would have been like the ring with Frodo, you know? Like like only one person. Hide that thing. Mount Doom, you know, and like stuff, the eye. You know, keep people out. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He's revealed it. Why? According to his good pleasure. Look at verse 10. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in earth or in heaven, and which are on earth uh, in Him. He says that he's doing what he's doing on purpose. There's a timeline. The summation of all things are coming together in Christ. That is two thousand years ago until now. It's the same dispensation. Dispensation is a big word that means time event. So we're now living in this dispensation where all things are gathered together in Christ. Here's how that looks. Here's what this means. I taught this last week. I'm going to teach it again. Heaven is all about Jesus, okay? When we get there, it is all about Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus is so cool that what we have down here that is good, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 says, everything was made by Jesus. So if you think heaven's going to be weird and boring, it's all about Jesus, just take anything good down here and grand, magnify it and multiply it and make it holy and it's going to be amazing. If you think heaven's going to be, here's your halo, here's a set of wings, <laughs> go stand over there, everything's white, it's totally weird, it's white and clouds everywhere, it's just one color, it's just why it's weird, it's just, you know, you're wrong, you're messed up, your theology's, here's the baseline point. When we get to heaven, it's going to all be about Jesus. But what he's saying in verse 10 is that not only is it all about Jesus then, it's actually all about Jesus now, on earth as it is in heaven. It's actually right now, eternity has already begun. And there are too many Christians right now that have cracked screens in their lives, that are wondering why things aren't functioning right, why life's not as full as it should be, or why it's not as fun, or doesn't function right Because you're looking at it through the wrong lens. Because you're wanting to attain all that you can now and then go to heaven later, for sure. Who doesn't want to go to heaven later? For sure. But am I enjoying heaven now? No, I got other stuff, man. I got cracked iPhone screens. I got other fun opportunities down here. I got other things I'm going after. And by the way, every one of us are geared to go after things, okay? And every one of us have pushed on that button that allows us to get another thing and like trained monkeys, we get the thing, and it makes us happy for like a nanosecond. And then the next thing comes along, we're like, ooh, another. And we keep going, and we've been doing this for decades, wanting more. Maybe it's this experience or that relationship. Maybe if they just say this to me, ooh, 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 like a monkey. <laughs> and we just keep going after stuff. Here's the resolve. Here's the resolve. If you seek to, because until you get this, until you figure out that heaven is all about Jesus, but so too is Earth, and that doesn't make any sense to you, I get it, okay. But until you just decide to believe it, okay, Earth's all about Jesus too. Crazy. I'm actually, and here's how you prove it. I'm actually a hu- I'm actually a spirit having a small human experience. I'm not a human. I'm a spirit who's been cursed with this human body, this body of death, man. It's going to be tore off one day. And you can experience that greatness and that joy right now in the mundane. How many guys got some mundane going on? Mundane? That's my maiden name. That's crazy. You know, I got some mundane going on. And until you figure this out, until you figure out it's all about Jesus, okay, life's going to miss you. You're just fully going to miss it. Days will turn into weeks. Weeks will turn into months. Months into years. Years into decades. And you'll be like, what the heck's going on? I missed it. I missed everything because you were looking down here instead of up there, setting your mind on things above, living your life to the fullest here, peeling back the screen, enjoying all that God has for you. Until you figure it out, life's going to miss you. Until you figure this out, life's going to trick you too. You're going to keep going after the next nugget, keep going after the next thing, keep going after the next and it's We have all been disappointed so many times. So many times, oh, just this one, I just need one more lick, one more flavor, one more investment, one more thing, one, never, ever, ever will it, apart from Christ, satisfy you. Until you figure this out, it's going to be mean to you, okay? Life's actually going to disappoint you, and it's going to hurt you. Until you see it through heaven's lens, heaven's eyes. This is where we're going. This is what it's all going to culminate to. And right now, all of your frustration, all of your irritability, all of your disappointments will diminish largely when you focus on the things of God. Because your life gets crazy, doesn't it? It changes. You think you're on top and you're not all of a sudden. What are you going to do about that? Man, I'm going to heaven. I'm literally going to heaven, and it's all about him. Uh, One commentator said it this way, and I hope you think about it later this week. He said, it's the heresy of our times to divide life into sacred and secular. i gonna say it again. He said, it's the heresy of our times to divide life into the sacred and the secular. Sacred being, yeah, of course we're going to do churchy things on churchy days, churchy moments. We're going to have church, you know, then there's going to be just the stuff. It's just junk, the secular, the normal bills paid, dog washed, clothes cleaned, things done, man, oh man, colds and sickness and this and flat tires and horrible things and good things. And it's just, but that's separate. Where do you get that? The, the world around us wants us to separate all that God has made. God made all of this. It's all him. And yet the world around us says, no, 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 no. Just, you want to be churchy? That's fine. Just do it at church, please. And you're missing out, because here's the deal: God has taken all things and He has combined them in Jesus. In Jesus, He, the very fact that Jesus came to the mundane reality of our existence as a baby born in Jerusalem of all places. How many has got this like mystified understanding of Jerusalem? It's in the Middle East, okay, in the middle of nowhere. It is. In a, if you're God and you're going to be born somewhere, like go to Hawaii. The the Virgin Mary in Hawaii, that makes sense. (laughs) Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm going to go into the most menial, marginalized, poverty-stricken, everything that he did to become relevant to us, being born of a virgin to a teenage girl in the middle of nowhere, everything he did was to relate to the mundane because we're all doing mundane stuff, and he didn't want us to do it wrong. He didn't want us to live a life Below his purpose, he wanted us to live a life above that is transparent, that shows other people what Jesus can do to people who tap out and say, yeah, take it all, Lord. Take it all. Jesus wants to use your life right now in the mundane to change eternity for everybody. Some of you are waiting still. Yep, as soon as I get a bigger platform, I'll start working for eternity. As soon as I figure some stuff out, uh... (laughs) What if he wants you to just tear it up right now? Why well, I just live in Toledo. It doesn't matter. Really. Yeah, if I lived in New York, maybe my life would be important. Uh, I love this town. I love living here. We have such an opportunity to just be a little crazy, okay? Be a little, be a little happy. Have, have a little, little bit to talk about. Have a, have a little bit of Jesus have a little bit of answers, be able to go into Lincoln County Jail in the worst of any situation and bring answers and hope. Any hospital room you go to, anywhere you arrive and say, yeah, as a matter of fact, crazy enough, God has gathered all things together, both heaven and earth in, in Jesus. It's, I know it sounds crazy, but it's, it's actually real and it's true and now I get to live my mundane as if it's a miracle. Let me just give you one example of how this works and then we're gonna do something special. Uh, Thursday morning, I believe it was, uh, I had a normal morning at my house, normal morning goes this way, I wake up and my kids have already um, gotten up and so I come down the stairs and my kids have taken the position of terrorists. <laughs> and so I come down the stairs, you know, and just, you know, it's a fight right away, you know, what's broken and where are they at and, you know, what have you done and where's your sister, have you sold her to somebody, you know, and all the, you know, it's the same thing, don't talk to me, no, nope, stay back, don't touch your dad, don't, don't touch me, I gotta get the coffee, please, the coffee's not working yet and it's, this is normal, you know, I try and, I pray, but it doesn't work, you know, and so, and so, anyways, Thursday morning, same thing, I'm drinking my coffee, the kids are crawling all over me and wanting me to read books to them, and I just, you know, and I, I told my daughter, I said, finally, I said, just give daddy a little bit of space, I just need a little bit of space, she's four years old and all over the place, you know, so I felt bad, I was in the flesh, I'll be completely honest with you guys, I'll lie to the other services, but I'll tell you guys the truth, and uh, so I just said, I just need, I need some space. And so she went right next to me and laid down and grabbed her action Bible and began to thumb through it. And I'm, you know, feeling bad, hoping my coffee kicks in here soon, and I'm actually meditating on this verse, verse 10, about heaven and earth colliding, heaven and earth being one and, and, and the mundane and all the rest. And I still wasn't feeling it, though. And all of a sudden, I look at what my daughter's reading in the Bible, and she asks a question about this particular page, and it showed a snake at the top of a pole. She asked, what's this snake all about? It's a snake all about and I saw it. I was like, oh, that's the snake in Numbers chapter 21. And I began to tell my three kids. They're all doing their own thing. I began to tell them the story. I said, in Numbers 21, what happened is, is these Midianite gals these gals, they were sinful. They got the guys of Israel, the children of God, and they actually convinced the guys to do bad stuff. And my kids are like, what bad stuff? I'm like, oh, I to talk about that in a couple years. And
1: uh, <laughs> they did stuff they shouldn't do, okay?
0: They did stuff, and they got in trouble for it. And so God, in Numbers 21, he sent a plague upon the land. It was fiery snakes. These serpents came into the camp and began biting everyone who was doing this bad stuff. They were seduced, tricked into sin, sinful behaviors, and they got cursed for it. And they began to die then. And so Moses began to cry. And I tell my kids this. And all of a sudden, the coffee's kicking in. I tell my kids the story. And and the Holy Spirit's there, and I'm feeling a little bit more motivated. It's just a Monday, normal day. And I begin to tell my kids about this story in Numbers 21 that I I knew from from memory. I've I've taught it before. I've studied it. I've meditated on it. I've worshiped through it. And what happens in the story is these snakes come in. They bite the guys. They start to die. Moses begins to cry and pray, Lord, forgive us. Please don't let anybody else die. Right at that very minute, one of the Midianite gals comes over and grabs a dude, children of Israel, guy. So let's go. And they walk into a tent together to go continue in this sinful behavior. Right then, this dude named Phineas, and I'm telling all my kids this, this guy Phineas rises up. And Phineas grabs a spear, walks into the tent with these two cats. And he gets the girl, and it goes through the girl into the guy too. The coffee's really kicking in at this point. I'm telling the kids, and my kids are listening. And the spear went through, and the plague stopped. And as soon as God saw what Phineas did, his reaction towards sin, it's an Israelite story, it's an Old Testament principle, it's a picture. He heard Moses' prayers. Moses was kind of a poor leader, in my opinion, at times, and here he was just praying and crying. Here Phineas was actually acting, doing something, and God said, man, the plague's over. Let forgiveness begin. And then what he told Moses to do, now I want you to take a snake, make it out of brass, make it out of metal, and put it on a pole, and put it in the center of the camp, and put it up super high. And if anybody who's been bitten by the snake, if anybody's sinned, if they've blown it, they've made a huge mistake, cracked, tapped out, blinded, they're getting messed with, tell them, tell them that if they go to the center of the camp, all they have to do is drag themselves there like RoboCop, you know, drag themselves there, have a friend, drag them, whatever, and if they just look at the snake, they'll be healed. And I began to tell my kids this story. And I said, Imagine kids, somebody in their tent suffering of this snake bite. Somebody tells them, Hey, there's a snake in the middle of camp. All you got to do is look at it. All you got to do is look at it. You think some people would not believe them? You think some people would sit there saying, I need a doctor. I need amputation. I need something else. I don't need to look at a snake. And there would be this battle for those who wouldn't believe the good news. There would be those, though, who were hauled by stretchers, their friends dragging them to church, dragging them to the hill. People saying, you got to look. And they would look, their heads would be twisted upwards, and they would see this snake, and they would be healed. 3,000 years later, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and a man named Nicodemus, I'm telling my kids this story, a man named Nicodemus finds Jesus at night. It's called Nick at Night. Nicodemus finds Jesus and asks Jesus a plethora of questions. John 3, read it. Jesus begins to answer his questions and says, and like the snake, Jesus brings up the snake. John 3, he's asking questions. Like the snake, Nick, like the snake that was lifted up on the pole in Moses' day, like that snake, so too I'll be lifted up. And anybody who looks to me, I'm going to be the snake. I'm going to be the one who becomes the sin, who takes the sin of the world. And if anybody would just look to me, they'll be saved. They'll have their forgiveness, their healing metered through me to them if they would just look to me. Now, as I was telling my kids this, I began to sense it was truly a holy moment. I really, I sensed my kids were getting it. And they're pastor's kids. I've told them the gospel a million times. And I sensed that this was actually little deeper. And I began to tell them that Jesus takes our sin. He never sinned, but he's willing to take ours, our mistakes, our snake bites. He's willing to take them and put them on himself and absorb it. And and all we got to do is trust him. And I asked Noah, I said, Noah, do you want Jesus to take your sin? Do you want him to pay for it? And then for you, for him to live in your heart, do you want to accept Jesus right now as your Lord and savior? My eight-year-old son put his hands together and said, yeah, I want to accept him right now. I asked Nemo, my six-year-old, I said, Nemo, do you want Jesus to be your snake? Do you want him to take your sin and to pay for it? You look to him and be saved. Do you want him to live in your heart? And he said, yes. And I asked my four-year-old daughter the same question. I said, do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your savior and him? Pay for your sins. And my three kids, all three of them said, yes, we want to pray right now. Pastor's kids, and I got to lead them to Jesus this Thursday morning. Clap. Here's the deal. All of that started in a very mundane morning. Okay. It's your choice. But I, I chose to follow what God was providing. It wasn't me being... Children, I've been thinking about this portion of Scripture for many weeks. Thank you for joining me here at Forchette Christian Fellowship. Please listen. No. God is revealing himself. God's gone before. God loves my kids more than I do. God wants to change lives. God wants to use his word. God is on fire, on mission, on point, won't be stopped. You and I, we're going to budget. We're going to hold back. We don't want them to be saved. They don't deserve it. I can't go to Lincoln County Jail and visit her. She's horrible. God says, you're all horrible. You're all horrible. My son, he's the one. In the dispensation of the fullness of times, I'm going to gather all things in heaven and all things on crazy earth in him and make all things right. Our opportunity as Christians is to believe God's calling people that He no one's too far gone. He wants to use you. If you're desiring, if you're willing to see Jesus in the midst of the mundane, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. But to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You're going to go to Starbucks later this week. You're going to go to your place. You're going to go to your restaurant. You're going to go to your work. You're going to go to your gym. You're going to be mad. And you're, going to be, you're going to be overwhelmed because life's overwhelming and your coffee didn't work. It's how it's going to be. And you can smile and say, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus is doing something. I wonder if he's doing something. You think he takes days off? You think he looks at the seafood and wine festival and says, oh, I'll get back with them next weekend. They look busy. Jesus is saving. Jesus is real. A couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to go to Lincoln County uh, Hope Court uh, graduation, and uh, Veronica Tibbetts graduated, and we've had a lot of our people graduate uh, from there, a lot of of special people at the church, and uh, got to go there and uh, enjoy what God has done in her her life specifically, and the reason I highlight this is this is her last Sunday here. She's uh, moving. God's calling her to Portland, and we're going to pray for her at the end of the service, but here's the deal. I want you to watch this video. It's just a short video that she put together at the graduation to celebrate what God has done in her life, She's one of ours. You're one of ours. We are one of his. And God has changed your life and my life and our lives. Are you too far gone? Is anybody too far gone? I got too many snake bites. Do you got a pulse still? Tap out. Give it to Jesus and be encouraged. I'm going to have the worship team come up as we turn the lights down. We're just going to watch this video. It's going to be fun. Then we're going to respond to Jesus by taking communion.
1: Of an addiction your ends are always the same jails institution or death and i was near death but by the grace of god i ended up in jail it It was there i hit my rock bottom and was faced to deal with the decisions of destruction that i had created and all i could think about was my kids facing prison time i was terrified but god had a bigger plan for me and i was offered hope court and intensive outpatient treatment supervised by the courts and reconnections. And after 90 days in jail, I was reunited with my kids. The next three months, I dedicated myself to recovery and my kids, completing all the requirements for phase one. In phase two, my family and I were rendered homeless. But we remained positive, and we decided to go camping. It was summer after all, and we embraced the outdoors, painted rocks, and enjoyed the beach for the better part of 10 weeks. Near the end of summer, Narcotics Anonymous offered to pay for a campsite so that we could reserve the spaces for the NA campout. That weekend, we had a turnout of over 60 people, and I learned what true unity was, and I loved it. I took every opportunity after that to participate in recovery functions, like the Ride for Recovery and the Hands Across the Bridge in Walport. I also accepted a service position as the GSR for the Tuesday Night Freedom Book Study of Narcotics Anonymous. In phase three, and steadily approaching a year, I decided to talk to my pastor because I wanted to do something great. I decided that on my year date, I would renew my once lost faith and commitment to God by baptism. I was overwhelmed by how many people came to support me and the 45 degree temperature of the water. I expanded my participation and joined a life group for the church. I volunteered with my friends at the community Thanksgiving dinner and served over 500 turkey dinners. And finally, I got to spend some much overdue time with my family, showing them how great recovery had been to me. And they were all very happy. In early December, my mom and dad took my kids and I to Disneyland to celebrate my one year clean. And we had a blast. We made so many new memories that I'm grateful for today. When we returned, we finally found a home of our own and a friend brought us over a tree. The Oregon Coast Aquarium had adopted our family for Christmas this year, and we were overwhelmed by all their gifts and blessings. Although I got what I wanted, my kids back for Christmas. I continued to serve and volunteered to be the DJ for the Narcotics Anonymous New Year's Eve dance. And I brought in the new year clean with many friends. By the grace of God I was given this program so many people I have met so many people have touched my life they've inspired me cried with me they've lacked with me fellowshiped with me and just loved me and I'm forever humbled and grateful for that that I have my family back, my life back I have me
0: back Thank you. Good to be alive proud right about now. Would you pray with me? Father, Veronica is just one of thousands. And Lord, it's not because of Veronica. It's actually in spite of Veronica that your grace shines bright. It's that you would show, hey, you want to know how radical I am? You want to know how crazy I am? I'm going to save Veronica. I'm going to change her life. Because I don't want you guys to forget how nice I am. I don't want you to forget how loving I am. I don't want you to forget. I don't, I don't want you to think I'm like you. I want you to think I'm like me. So I'm going to save from the highest to the lowest. Lord, I for one just apologize putting boxes around you, making you look bad, making you look weird, making you look mad. Jesus, you're so fun. You're so real. You're so crazy that you would be born in Jerusalem of a virgin in, in that way and in that area to, to prove so many things and then to live a life in poverty to identify with so many things. And then to be treated by humanity with such rejection and such betrayal to show so many things and then to die on a cross, a criminal's death, to pay for so many things. So Jesus, today, this day, we thank you for what you've done, for who you are that you're a good father that you have sought to seek and to save the lost and that you have given us today the opportunity to be found, to be saved. I know there's people here today, hundreds, thousands of people that will go to church today that have been saved, but there's somebody here this morning that needs to be saved, somebody here this morning that needs to tap out and say, Lord, I don't want to do it my way, I want it to be done your way, and I give my life to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to be my snake, to be my savior, to be the one who pays for my sins. Today I confess I have sins that have not been paid for. I have a snake bite that has not been healed, and I need to be rescued. Would you be my Lord and my Savior? Would you live with me and lead my life and make my purpose your purpose? That's you today. Would you just raise your hand to the Lord and extend it to him and say, Lord, save me, forgive me, use me. Hands are going up everywhere. Jesus, I pray that you would be honored and glorified as we come to the table now, as we take of the communion, as we embrace what you have asked us to do, which is to celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection, your victory given to us, the riches of Christ. We do now together, Lord, taking the cup, taking the bread, thanking you again for all that you've done. We do so to the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we prepare to celebrate? When you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisles and take your communion out the side aisles and celebrate what he's done for you. He did it for you. There's people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well. The tables are open.